Hi, welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the original podcast where an actor, writer, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner, senior film writer for Now Magazine, and this is the other thing I do. The Toronto International Film Festival is rolling along this week, and my guest is Kire Papitz, a filmmaker whose credits include the short film Animal Control and the 2015 feature The Rainbow Kid. Kire also directed the documentary The Last Pogo Jumps Again with Colin Brunton, and he's set to present the world premiere of his new feature, The Last Porno Show Tonight. Tuesday, September 10th, at 9 p.m. at the Scotiabank 3. It's a melancholy film about naked people, starring Nathaniel Chadwick as an aspiring actor who inherits his father's porn cinema and winds up drawn into its world. If you can't make it tonight, the last porno show repeats Thursday, September 12th, at 9 p.m. at Jackman Hall in the Art Gallery of Ontario, and again on Friday, September 13th, at 3.30 p.m. back at the Scotiabank 3. You can find tickets at tiff.net slash festival. Perhaps as a challenge, Kire picked Sicilian Vampire, the fourth theatrical feature from Toronto writer, director, producer, and star Frank D'Angelo, who appears in The Last Porno Show as an acting coach. In Sicilian Vampire, D'Angelo casts himself as Sonny Traficante, a mid-range mobster who develops certain supernatural tendencies after he's bitten by a bat at a weekend retreat with his buddies. Naturally, this leads to complications for both his business and personal lives, and also murder, and the occasional song. Frank D'Angelo is an entity unto himself in the Toronto entertainment scene. Like, literally, he is his own cult. But some people really like his stuff. And Kiri picked it, so here we go. This is someone else's movie. I think when talking about Sicilian Vampire, I can't just talk about that without also talking about, I think, the Frank D'Angelo whole cinematic universe. I think, for me, that is such a big part of why... I gravitate towards uh, Frank and his films. Okay. Um, just, I think for me, there's so many things about Frank that just, I think, are so intriguing and interesting. Um, a lot of it is, I think, the process of how he makes his movies, I think, is I've never seen anybody else, like, do before, so I think it's very interesting. Um, and the fact that I think Frank just doesn't really give a shit about anything he's like frank's gonna do whatever frank wants to do and i think i kind of admire that as well because i think sometimes we lose a bit of that with within the industry you know you have so many people telling you what you should be doing or this is how you make a movie or how you sell a movie and frank is you know he doesn't care he's like no this is this is my fantasy and this is what is you know we're, we're gonna do and so i think um even with myself like you know i i try to take that approach where i try to you know be as true to myself as possible and not worry about what other people think or, you know, or, you know, what they, yeah, basically telling me how I should or should not make a movie. So I think Sicilian Vampire for me is um, the peak for me in terms of what I think Frank has accomplished. Um, and not to say that he can't, again, make a movie quite like that, but I think so many things have changed um, just on the peripheral of, of what, you know, of, of Frank's relationship, you know, like the idea again of like, you know, early on he had a bunch more money because, you know, uh, early on his EP was Barry Sherman, right? Yeah, he so being yeah, he's being funded by Barry Sherman and some of his own, I'm sure D'Angelo money was going in there as well. But I mean, I think that was a big part of being able to, you know, have a movie like Sicilian Vampire or Red Maple Leaf or 
any of the early ones before, um, I guess, Barry was, you know, found murdered with his wife, right? Yeah, it's a, it's a horrible story. And I, I have to admit, until I think it was the Bloomberg piece on it, the, the larger investigation, I didn't really realize that yeah. that was the same Barry Sherman yeah. because it never would have occurred to me. Yeah. Isn't Frank quoted in that he too? He is, yeah. 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 He, uh, they, oh, I, I vaguely remember they were, they met for lunch in a hotel somewhere, he and the reporter, and, and uh, D'Angelo is very... Very, it seems legitimately heartbroken, and, yeah. and he says his best friend is gone, yeah. and you know, do the right thing by him, and try yeah. to try to find out what happened. And we still don't know what. Almost two years later now, yeah, three? it's crazy, right? It's, it's insane. I think they're aren't they like tearing down the house and stuff as well? I think the family's just like they want to just like get oh, rid of everything, which is weird. It's kind of like, well, that's okay, but I mean, if they have the need to go back, I mean, I'm sure they've done a very thorough investigation, but it's always weird when you kind of like tear down like the crime scene or something, right? And it's like yeah. that's it. What have you have is what you have, right? Yeah. So I have to assume that. The investigation went over literally everything at this point. Oh, yeah. And I think even the family had their own private investigators on top of, like, what the police were doing, right? So I'm yeah. sure between that, it's, it's it's fine. But It's such—I mean, not to turn this into a true crime podcast, but <laughs> it is a weird-ass story. Oh, like, yeah. It is a really bizarre— Yeah. Um, I, I Yeah, I just—I I suggest anybody who's interested look it up because there's no way I can get into it in, in yeah. any detail, and it will only just taint further the— the movie, which was made before any of that happened, and, and yeah. so we should just, yeah, it is, but it is bizarre. This, this, um, a couple, philanthropist and his wife yeah. were, uh, were found, a very wealthy couple were found horribly murdered yeah. in the basement of their home, and two years later, no one knows what happened. No, not a That's clue. That's the short version. Yeah. And just briefly again, I mean, in, in, uh, Barry was also involved with a lot of other Frank's endeavors, not just the movies, right? Like the whole failed. St- oh, steal back right. he beer was a backer on that. and like he was like he's he's been around like I think he's bailed Frank out a few times and if you even read Frank's autobiography which I recommend it's called Being Frank um, it's great um, he goes in a lot about that as well um, but uh, I guess yeah we should probably get back to the, well, back to the you, movie now that, but, this, now that I'm thinking about it though, yeah. did you get to did you ever meet Barry Sherman did you get to oh, no man that was like I was wishing. I was like, well, if Barry Sherman's going to give Frank millions of dollars to make a movie, like, I'm I was pretty confident he would, like, back something I'd want to do, hopefully. Even if it was, like, you know, even, like, 100000 Like, you know, I'll totally make a movie with that, right? Sure. Yeah. Um, so I, I saw him once. It was at the neighborhood premiere at the, what was it? I think it's, like, the Contemporary oh, the, Italian the, Festival the, or yeah, one yeah, of those CFF, that, yeah. like, they, they play all of Frank's movies. Um, so that was fun. So, you, you know, we they basically went to the light box. It's sold out. You know, all the actors are there. And it was like a, that was a big cast, too. That was, like, huge um, amount of people he had in that movie. Um, and, yeah, Sherman was there, and I remember they went to afterwards. I wasn't quite tight with Frank. I was still kind of, like, just feeling the situation out. But Sherman was there, and they all went to party afterwards at Forget About It restaurant. Right. Um, right which is no longer—that's gone, too. So. I know. It's just um, the world is changing. Yeah, totally, right? What's it happening? It feels very strange. It is. So. so now Sicilian Vampire is almost like this time capsule of a point where— Frank D'Angelo had the reach and had the support to do yeah. this kind of a movie. This, yeah. this I was going to say large scale. It's not. It's a. It's got a big cast, but it's only at a handful of locations. It's a fairly small production. Oh yeah. But it feels well, stuffed. Like it's big. It's got yeah. a lot of things going. Well, it's over on. two hours long too, right? Yes, it is. Which yes. is. Uh, I was going to ask you, so I was just kind of curious. Unforgivable is the word. I <laughs> so yeah, how did the field um, happen to watch that movie again when I picked it? It. Um, <laughs> It was awkward. I, I have to admit, every now and then someone will pick a film that, that feels like a challenge. Right. Uh, like a deliberate challenge. Right. Like, I want to know if Frank put you up to this kind of challenge. Right, right. Uh, okay. But it's one of those films where, you know, I know exactly what I'm getting. The second time was almost easier just because okay. there's no 
this sounds condescending, but you know, anytime you see a movie for the second time, you, your brain has already prepped you. You have a sense of the, the structure and the pace and the aesthetic, even mm-hmm. if you're not familiar. Like if it's been 20 years, right. some part of you knows what to expect. Right. And so you either rediscover something and it's like, oh, I forgot about that bit. Or it's like, right. yeah, this is what I thought it was. Right. And, uh, <laughs> and Sicilian Vampire is, it's, you know, it's the story of a, a man who is apparently a small-time mafioso or just a really great guy that everybody loves. Yeah. Uh, who Same gets, thing who, in Frank's world, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Who after 27 minutes is bitten by a vampire bat, becomes a vampire, and does nothing to change the way he lives or works. Right. Goes around hanging out with his friends, celebrating his fun times. Right. Uh, people conspire against him, and he exacts violent payback, and then mm-hmm. the movie's over. Uh, it's, it is a Frank D'Angelo film. That's what his movies are all always about. Yeah. He's always the guy who knows the most about anything in any given situation. He's the one who's in control of, of everything in the room, unless someone is threatening him, in which case he's briefly set back and then goes and settles up. Mm. Um, it, I, I don't understand the creative impetus that misses the idea of vulnerability. Like the idea that he's going to put himself at the center of every one of these movies and then not do anything that challenges himself as an actor or as a writer. I just well, yeah. I get why he does this. I know what kind of movies he wants right. to make, right, yeah. where he's the hero and yeah. everybody loves him. But it's just this weird echo effect where you're making a what's ostensibly a horror film with, you know, it's got makeup effects, it's got yeah. violence, yeah. and still nothing about his style is different. It's still him singing on the soundtrack, other people singing along with him uh, yeah. diegetically. Yeah. Uh, as his as his version of music plays, as, or sorry, as his covers of songs play in the car, people sing along, yeah. and then they get scolded for singing along wrong. Which is great. I love that. I think that again. I think for me, like that's part of what I love. It's just like this again. The universe, like all all his, you know, all his movies are the, you know the same. It's you know it's yeah, yeah. Um, there's a lot of themes. One in particular is about family. Obviously, family means quite a bit to him. Sure. Um, and even myself as well. Um, and yeah, and the idea of like, in some ways, I think. <laughs> They're also really about redemption in some ways, whether they, you know, actually do that or not yeah. is, is, is a different story. But I feel like a lot of his films try to tackle that. Um, well, the, some, the closing song of Sicilian Vampire seems to be where all the redemption is. Because after right. the movie ends, Frank is on the soundtrack singing about why must I face this dark night. Right. And that's not really a question that was addressed within the film. Right. It's almost as though that's where he put it. Like he was, he was saving right. it for the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But doesn't understand that that's not going to help the narrative right. if, if you don't deal with it in the film. Right. It's really it's frustrating because I I get what you mean about him operating on his own um, aesthetic system. Yeah, like he clearly he knows what he's doing, yeah. and it's the same problem. And it's it's an unfair comparison because Tommy Wiseau when he made The Room, it's I mean it's a terrible film. It's objectively unwatchable, and there's stuff in Frank D'Angelo's films that is watchable. He's he's a limited actor, but he's good at what he wants to do, mm-hmm. and he can sell a scene. Not every time, but there's some right. stuff that uh, there's scenes in No Deposit where you actually get the feeling that he is listening and reacting and playing with the with the cast that surrounds him, right. and he hires people who can act. 100. So they elevate the material yeah. just by being there the best they can. Yeah, I mean, or, or, I, you know, yeah. they look even Paul Servino just looking concerned in one shot can actually change the oh, mood man. of a scene. I, I, Paul Servino like topless eating steak at that strip club is like that makes burnt, no burnt in my head forever. Yeah. That image, it's, and then uh, having his arm ripped off and being beaten to death I mean, with it. That, I know, like that. I mean, that's a great, that's a great kill scene, though, isn't <laughs> it? I mean, give it that. I mean, even something like even the way Frank becomes a vampire is like 
I have never seen that before, right? Who who, who would have thought? I don't know. Spoil it for me. I mean, like, oh, go ahead. Should I? Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, we presume that I, uh, this is going to be this, this <laughs> episode all, is going to all the Frank fans right here. Well, that's yeah. the audience, right? I, I, I hope so. But um, but everyone yeah. else discovering it, I don't know that you can spoil this movie because it right. is going to just. It it does tell a traditional narrative. It's yeah. just slightly different in the yeah. way that the pieces are put together. And it's in true. this case, it's not, you know, a dark um, a dark alley with a vampire waiting at the end of it. Right. It's a box of bananas that has a bat a in bat it. sitting in it, yeah. right? That uh, that leaps jump, out. jumps at him and bites his neck. Uh, which again, I think is just fantastic that they just have a box of bananas to begin with, right? It's yeah, everything is just so great. And I mean, there's even in the movie. Um, when he's being picked up by by his, his goon buddies, um, including yeah. Michael Pere, Michael Pere, Armand Asante, and the third and guy, Tony who, Nardi, who's a Canadian actor. That was Tony Nardi. Yeah, Tony Nardi's in like all of Frank's movies. Oh, yeah, yeah. God, I didn't recognize him yeah. in this one. That's Tony's great. been well, Michael Pere too has been in I think every single one except the Joke Thief. Frank's Frank's made like nine movies in like five years. Wow. Right. So I mean, that's something by itself, right? That's, yeah. You know? I mean, it's a body of work. Yeah. But uh, just the fact, yeah, just, you know, he gets picked up and Frank talks. There's a shot where you open the trunk up and Frank's like, why are all these bananas here? But there's actually, he doesn't, they don't show, show the bananas, right? So, again, it's just weird when it shows up later on after they're at this, like, cottage playing cards, which is another great scene because yeah. they literally they really fall asleep at the table playing cards, which I think is hilarious, right? Like, you know, no one is um, – Frank has so much control over these people that they don't – they can't even be like Frank – I'm tired. I want to go to bed. Like, no, you're going to keep playing cards until... Until we uh, all fall asleep. Don't sleep, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, which I think is fantastic. Um, so is this, like, sort of a power fantasy on his behalf to be someone who has this much pull over human beings? It it's It might be. I mean... Uh, I don't know. I mean, it's a theme that runs through his films. Yeah, it's um, funny. Like, like Frank is, is in his movies. He's either like this really kind of nice, gentle kind of like, not naive, a gentle character or he's like the baddest motherfucker you've ever seen, right? right and it's yeah. like, it, that, that, that's it. That's all he does, right? Um, well, I mean, I'm thinking about No Deposit, which was the first time I encountered his stuff, where he plays a guy who just happens to be the fixer that's required, right? right. During a bank robbery that goes right. sideways. But he's, you know, he's kind of like the nice guy. That he, he, yeah, he, he, know, he saves the day. He gives the guy his mortgage at the end. He yeah. saves the guy's house. He's like a connected sweetheart, but yeah, he's also right? clearly connected. Yeah. But if you watch something like uh, his second film, uh, The Big Fat Stone, where he plays a homeless person, right? You know, there's a whole other side of Frank that um, I don't think he, I don't think we, I've seen him quite get back to that. I mean, he's just like, have you seen it? Yeah, when um, yeah. what was that? 2014. Yeah, it's the second one. Yeah, yeah. It was. Uh, it's. I think it's. Frank tells me it's his favorite movie that he's made, and I can see that it's like one of my. It's probably my second or third favorite as well. It's just because it has a twist ending, which. Kind of actually got, I didn't even see coming, so I felt like, bravo, Frank, you know, okay. one point for you. So, um, yeah, and you're right, actually. It's a performance that, like, unlike any of the other ones yeah. he's, he's given, and maybe that's it. He pushed himself and he didn't like it. Maybe, or, yeah. I, I mean, mean, I'm not asking you no, to no, completely yeah, yeah, psychoanalyze yeah, yeah. him, but it is, a, it's this fascinating question watching these movies is how much of this is intentional and how much of it is instinctual. What does he want to achieve, and does he know what he's doing in the larger scale? Because ultimately... He's making the same. He's telling the yeah. same story. He's not making the same yeah. movie, but he's telling the same story over and over again. Yeah. And that well, is in itself that is kind of fascinating. Yeah. Again, again, it goes back to the process for me. Like when when Frank writes a script, so this is how Frank writes a script. He he talks into a recorder right. until um, he's done talking, and that that's the movie. And I've actually I've had to transcribe 
three of Frank's scripts now. And sometimes he'll talk for half an hour. Sometimes he'll talk for an hour. And when you type it up, it only translates to like sometimes like 30 pages, right? So um, this kind of, I think Frank's like, it's like a guy. Like when Frank does a movie, there's no script on set. It's just he kind of goes over the beats with the actors. The actors have the script, but they know right away. It's like, well, this is probably not going to, you know, this is kind of the feel. Right. Let's just jump in and let's see what happens. That's kind of like Frank's whole approach is he puts down a rough kind of skeleton when it gets to the production because everything is just so, I mean, you, you mean, we're talking about a guy who makes, you know, he shot two feature films in two and a half days, right? Which is like unheard of. Yeah. Right? So, I mean, when you have that kind of schedule, a lot of things are going to, you know, you're going to have to just, just, you know, it's, 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 it's run and gun for right. the most part. And luckily, uh, that's what I, I was a part of his last two films where I basically helped him organize the shoot for, yeah, these, these two feature films we shot in two and a half days. And which ones are those? Uh, so the new ones coming out, those are the, uh, the, the last big save, which is a hockey movie okay. where Frank plays a goalie again about redemption a guy who gets a second chance. He was kind of younger, up and coming, you know, big star, you know, fell into drugs and drink, whatever, lost it all. You know, it's game seven. You no, know, just like, you know, 30 years later, it's, it's game seven. Both the goalies on the team are out in injury. So they call up Frank, who's like, you know, 55 at this point, to come in and basically save the day. Okay. And uh, so that, that's, the, that's the one movie. And the second one is uh, more in tune with the other stuff, which is um, it's called Making Deal with the Devil, where he plays the baddest, uh, most sought-after Italian hitman in basically ever, I guess, right? And so he has to, the FBI hire him to take out the Russian mob. Okay. Right, because the, the FBI don't want to do it themselves um, for whatever reason. I mean, that makes sense. Yeah, it makes you sense, right? So we'll just look at Frank to do it, right? So Frank, that's, those are the two films that we filmed in two and a half days. Um, easily the most stressful thing I ever put myself through <laughs> besides making my own last movie, but only because I think there are more stakes with my movie, obviously. But, I mean, it was like, it was, it was... Yeah, I mean, shooting like 80 pages a day um, is unheard of, right? And, yeah. um, you know, and luckily, yeah, it was, it, although it was really contained to like a few locations, I mean, trying to film a hockey game, first of all, is that's like, you know, that's, that's a big, that's a big under, like, it's huge, right? Yeah, you know? no, that's a thing you take a week to yeah. do. Yeah, and that, we did that in like five hours. We filmed, and that's like half the movie is yeah. this hockey game. Was there an audience? Is there a crowd? Is There's there half an audience. Yeah. So it, it, the, way, the way they shot it is like we put everybody in the one side sure, and yeah. hopefully that'll translate. I haven't seen it yet. It's the, it's the only one I haven't seen yet. I'm the most excited because that was actually written years ago too. And I feel like it has a really similar vibe to The Big Fat Stone, his second movie. I think it's, you know, it's more, it's, it's not a gangster movie. It's not about, you know, it's, no one gets killed in it, right? It's, it's just really kind of... Horrible story about redemption, about a guy who had it all, lost it, and, you know, his dad thinks he's a burnout and a bum, too, and he has to prove himself to everybody again, right? And, you know, of course he does, because yeah. Frank, but, uh, so I'm, I'm very curious to see where, where that ends up, because that, that, that was the one I was, I was most excited about, and I did, I did see the last one, the, um, Making Deal with the Devil, that played at the, uh, yeah, that contemporary. Oh, it's the ICFF, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, which was fantastic because even when I transcribed the script, I knew it wasn't quite long to be a feature film. It was only like maybe 30 pages. And I was like, well, how, how's he, he going to pull this off, right? And the way he did that was, so the film's actually only about 53 minutes long and the end credits are 20 minutes long. Jesus Christ. And I'm not even exaggerating. The, the scroll is literally like, it's like you can't even see it moving. 
it's like that slow. And it's again, it's like hats off to Frank, man. Like, you know, he's gonna, he doesn't, he doesn't care. I love it. He's going to do whatever he wants to do. The movie has to be 73 minutes long to be, you know, official A feature, feature length. Yeah. So we're just going to, we'll just stretch out the ending. Okay. So I have to ask then, does he, I know he doesn't care, but does he understand that everyone else knows what he's doing? Like it's, he must know um, that 20 minutes of credits is just, people aren't going to stay for that. Does Probably, he, but I think at that point he doesn't care. No, I mean, I mean, who watches credits anyways, though, right? But he's singing over them. It's his music, right? Like, isn't that I think part so. of it? That's part of it, but I mean... This is what confuses me. Like, the idea well, yeah, that yeah. he so badly needs to be loved and adored and appreciated. But I would argue that. I mean, ever the rest of the movie has his music over it. Yeah, and this is another thing. Like, when you buy a Frank D'Angelo movie, it comes with the soundtrack. You can't buy it. it I did it, not it, know that. It doesn't go. It's great. It, it doesn't come separate. So when you buy a Sicilian Vampire, you, it's a it's a, a double combo pack. Okay. So all his movies I have, they all have the soundtracks, which I think again is his genius, right? It's like to take both, yeah, right? It's just putting yeah. it into the world. Put it in the world, right? So so even if yeah, that's the thing. So I feel like he's not losing out because when people buy it, they're getting both anyways, right? Um, so so yeah, I think again, it's just another piece of you know marketing genius by Frank. I think it's just again, he's so. No one else is doing what Frank is doing. This is true. Right? Yeah, Which this I think is, is so, true. not even in Canada. I, think, I mean, I could be wrong. I, mean, I don't, you know, watch a lot of international cinema as much as other people, but I feel like I don't know someone who talks into a recorder for half an hour, one take, and that's the script. There's no revisions. Yeah. You know, who gets, I mean, look at, like, look at some of the size of these casts. I mean, they, I, I, would, I would think they, like, other than like a Marvel movie, when is the last time you've seen a cast like Sicilian Vampire in like an independent film? Of that size. I mean, I think if you're going to, well, so, okay, so I'm the guy who spent the 90s watching direct-to-video movies. So right. I've seen all of these things with just big roundups of, of actors who are happy to do a couple of days' work on a picture and then just kind of come in and out. Right. Uh, I, I mean, God, like the, the Fallen movies are basically that now. Olympus has fallen. It felt like anything Gary Oldman is in other than the prestige movies in the last five years is right. going to be one of those movies. Those movies, yeah. Yeah, where it's just like, oh, here's this guy, here's this guy. Yeah. We got Gary Oldman and Morgan Freeman. We got... Yeah. Um, but I feel like Frank's movie, it's every actor. Like, you've seen the list. It's, it's insane. Sure. I mean, from like Robert anybody, Dobby yeah, to like Anybody who's a character actor in yeah. the 70s and 80s is going to show up now. Yeah. But it's because, as I understand it, uh, it's not very taxing. You know, you come up yeah. to Toronto, you spend a couple of days having some decent food and you oh, yeah. shoot a couple of scenes, oh, yeah. stand around for a few hours on a set. Uh, Margot Kidder was in a few of them. Like, uh, oh, man. I, she, was my, she, was, she was my favorite my favorite part of all those movies. I think her in, in No Deposit in particular, she's like the, the, the bingo gambling mom who's just like... Uh, I, actually, I actually wrote the character of Julia in my new movie, The Last Porno Show, for Michael Kidder. Oh. But I, I didn't have any money to even go union, never mind, really, hire, so you, get her. But it's too bad because I, I thought she, I fell in love with her again watching all those Frank movies, and I thought she would have been perfect. She just had that, had that, you know, just that feel, and it's like someone who has been, I think, through so much, and you can just, you just see it. You just not do much. You just, you just know, you know, you need to look at her. She's like, you know, she's this person who's, been through some crazy shit and just, you know, has no problem kind of just, you know, going with it, so. Yeah, well, um, I mean, you know, when you see Sorvino show up in, yeah. in Sicilian Vampire or James Caan or the um, the ailing presence of Robert Loggia, who I'm pretty sure literally phoned in half his role because he was very ill. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, or, or, you know, like Davi's there, Nicholas Campbell's in there. No, no, uh, Art Hendel. Oh, my God, yes, you're right. It's yeah, Art, Art Hendel. Hendel. Art Hendel, uh, Art Hendel him, and Eric him Roberts, Roberts are yeah. The, the, the cop duo, which is like, again, a great... I mean, where else would you, where you're going to see a movie with, you know, 
Eric Roberts and Art Hindle, like, yeah. you know, just well, kind of I mean, like riffing. It's, it's nice that they're working. I mean, <laughs> no, it really, really yeah, is. Totally I don't, right. I don't yeah. mean that disrespectfully. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's, it's um, Fred Olin Ray had a, a thing about that 30 years ago when he was making a movie called The Phantom Empire, which he shot on the set of another project because he had a couple of extra days. Yeah. Uh, and Buster Crabbe was in it because he said, you know, like, he brought the film to the Beef Festival in Toronto in 88, mm-hmm. which is when I saw it and when I met him. And, and he said, it was like, you know, if I can get Buster Crabbe and work with somebody I love and who's going to have stories yeah. and just hang out with him for a couple of days in yeah. the, in the, and we get a movie out of it, why yeah. wouldn't I do that? Totally. And he's not wrong. Like, the impulse is there. Yeah. But at the same time, it's not like these roles are terribly challenging. Like, nobody sees this as an Oscar bid or, no. a, or a Canadian Screen Award bid. Yeah. They're, they're here to, to do the work. Yeah. And it's great that working actors get that opportunity and they yeah. can play around and just sort of remind us of, of what they're still yeah. capable of. And it's it's super easy, like you said. Like, it's literally, I mean, they're on set for like a day maybe, maybe a, a day and a half tops, and yeah. they fly back out again, right? But maybe that's what kind of bugs me about it is that I don't feel like they're being challenged or, or, or that there's anything being asked of them. Like, there's right. Armand Santi's there to hug a guy. They can stand no, I mean, around and But working threats. with Frank is a challenge in its own because if, if you're not used to how Frank rolls and how he does stuff, that is the new challenge. And it's not so much getting the character. It's, it's how do I apply my craft to this kind of new world that I've been thrown into where it's like six camera setup. You get like maybe two takes tops, right? Because Frank's thing is like Frank will tell this, you know, he gets the attention span of like a gnat. He, just, he gets so bored. He's, he's always kind of like go, 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 right? He's kind of like... Let's, you know, what's, what's taking so long? Let's do this. Move on, right? Right. Um, so I think for more, it's more of the actors. I think it's, and when, I, when I've spoken to people like Michael Paré or even like Daniel Baldwin, they legitimately, like, they're really, they really are intri- like, they're really into, like, the whole process. And it's kind of this, like, crazy whirlwind where it's kind of like, I'm not sure what's going to happen, but let's just go on this ride and let's, let's, let's see where it goes, right? And again, okay. yeah, it's, it, I'm sure that the pay is okay. I'm sure they're getting scale or whatever they get. And it's easy in terms of yeah it's days i mean they're only up here for a weekend tops but just i mean those are they're long days first of all and it's just a matter it's just it's 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 you know you know what's gonna happen next it's, it's one of those kind of crazy things right so that can be trying for sure um but uh i think that's yeah i think that's the challenging part for the actors in the movies which is kind of like not really knowing what to expect and just being being, being comfortable with basically just go going with it and um Whatever happens, happens, you know. But, uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, I guess Paul Servino liked the experience so much, he even brought his daughter in on one of the movies, right? That's right. Which, yeah. so, I mean, it's interesting how that's, I mean, I think the Red Meat Belief um, was probably his biggest cast because he had her, but he also had, like, Chris Christopherson. He had, um, um, oh, man, uh, Martin Landau. Like, it's like, you know. Right, Landau, yeah. Like, m- multiple Oscar-winning actors. Sure. In, in, in these films and that, right? And right, like, but, I mean, and again, this is where it gets weird because, like, they're not, they're clearly not working a lot right now and it's nice to get a gig. I guess so. But in the olden days, uh, you know, in the, in the old straight-to-video days, what you did was you hired one Oscar-winning actor or right. someone you could say, like Sally Kirkland never lacked for work mm. because she was constantly, constantly doing a day on something. Right. She would show up in 12 movies a month. Yeah. And that was how you got the Academy Award. I don't know. Did she win or did she just get a nomination? But she, mm. like, the banner would be on the box and right. you could put the Oscar symbol up there and everybody loved that. And mm. it was just an easy way to make 
to get your movie financed in advance. And, uh, Frank doesn't have that issue. Right. But that was the old way. You would package the film, yeah. you would sell it, and it would be in profit before you ever shot a foot of film. Because yeah. you'd take the poster to Cannes, you know, like the, the famous um, uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme cyborg. Well, like, 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 like the Canon movies? Figure, all yeah, kind? the Canons, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, They'll yeah. figure out the movie later. Yeah. It's just Jean-Claude Van Damme is a cyborg. It's fine. What else do you want to know? Perfect. Here's $10 Sold. million yeah. dollars for the <laughs> go, international, go like for, yeah. the, for the Lithuanian rights. Right. And then you produce the money. Yeah. You produce the money. You produce the picture with the, with the pre-sale. Yeah, yeah, that's and it. you yeah, have a movie. There. So that would keep a lot of people going. And then in the end, you know, um, the uh, Ernest Borgnine would show up for two scenes right. at the beginning and end. Again, good luck, cyborg. And that would be it. Yeah. And you'd have an Oscar-winning actor, Ernest Borgnine, yeah. in your movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is this feels like he's surrounding himself with people he just wants to hang out with and, and play with, oh. which isn't a bad yeah. thing. Like, the impulse is sort of sweet. Oh, yeah. But again, like, they're just there to sit and watch him do stuff. Which, well, which yeah, I, I, mean, it's, kinda, it, I mean, yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, I just find it a little distracting. Like, you know, uh, for somebody who has no attention span, his movies are really long and, and really slow. Not the recent ones. No? Well, like I said, right? You know, he barely, he oh, barely that's made true, 50s. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, even like I, I know I was speaking to some of the actors, um, The Joke Thief, which mm-hmm. was the first movie after Barry Sherman had passed away. Um, it's shorter, and I, 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 again, I wasn't a part of the process, but I heard the script was only like 10 pages. And there would be like these things where it'd be like, you know, you'd have a scene, and it would say like, you know, scene will come later or, or add scene here. Right. So I remember speaking to, oh, I forget her name now. She plays like the, the love interest. She was the w- actress from Big Comfy Couch. Remember that show? It was like a kid show back in the day. Oh, yeah. Anyway, so she, she's in that movie. And she was going on about how, yeah, she got the script. It was like 10 pages long. It's kind of like most of it was just basically like add, add scene here or do this here. And I was like, so I just, again, it's just kind of like not just going with it, right? Right. And um, I guess it would be a challenge to an actor, like in terms sure, of yeah, not, not knowing what you're doing until you show up. And even yeah. on the day, like things change all the time, right? With Frank, it's, Frank has a new idea or he wants to go somewhere with it. You got to be ready to adapt. And I think luckily, like for me, again, it was very stressful because it was, I was new to Frank's process. I had an idea what he did. I remember even early on talking to some of the crew because his crew are, like, dedicated, man. Like, they've been with him since, like, the beginning. So they know exactly what to expect. They're kind of, like, one step ahead in some ways. Like, you know, just ready to go. Have all, all six cameras pretty much where they won't think Frank wants something. Right. They, they just go. And there's me kind of running around, you know, thinking I know how to make movies and not having a clue. Because, I mean, you know, I could build a whole schedule for Frank in terms of, okay, well, this makes sense. Maybe we should do all these scenes here first and then go here. But... You know, Frank's just going to do what Frank wants to do. Frank's like, no, no, I want to do it this way. And, you, you, I mean, you can't argue because it's his movie, right? It's literally, it's his money and sure, yeah. it is what it is, right? And so the biggest lesson I learned working with Frank on his stuff, at least, was um, just let him do whatever he wants to do and, you know, and just just try to put out the fires as they come, you know? Yeah. Right. Don't get too far ahead because it's it's, it's not going to stay that way. It's basically <laughs> what, what I learned, so. So was... Was this transition into his world, were you a fan beforehand? Did you yeah, seek this out? How for sure. I happen? definitely seeked it out. Um, I mean, I think uh, even just watching the show, the Being Frank show on CHCH on Fridays, like, well, what, what, what is this, right? Like, right. this is a weird, it's a show where basically the host just talks at the guests, right? And I'm kind of like, oh, okay. And it's, again, such a weird, just, you know, just, and again, like everything, I mean, even the commercials are just trailers for his movies or they're, they're ads for, you know, Cheetah or whatever, right? I'm like, yeah. well, this is genius. The guy is just, you know, he's, it's, it's his whole world, right? Everything is just one thing. And I, I loved it. I fell in love with who is this person? I wanted to know more. <laughs> and, of course, Real Gangsters came out and things like that. And I just, you know, I was like, well, this is, 
exactly what's up my alley. And so I wrote, I mean, I wrote the, the teacher part in uh, Last Point I'll Show for Frank. And I reached out to him on Facebook or something. It's like, hey, you know, huge fan. Had this really nice email, like, you know, I'd love for you to do this. I think you're right for the character, you know. I, you know, I, you know, I just, I, I, I really sucked out to him. And not, not even like I really had to. Like, I am a big fan of Frank. I, I think, and Frank is like, I, I consider Frank one of my top three Kane filmmakers of all time. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> that, that's a good luck. Who were the others? So it would be David Cronenberg. Okay. Alan King and Frank D'Angelo would be in my top three. I am not seeing a large... I'm seeing a Venn diagram, and they're all, like, separate moons. Yeah, that's, that's great, Although, though, I think, though, right? That's King, okay. Yeah, King and Cronenberg have some aesthetic overlap, I would say. Like, yeah. the, the early... Cronenberg's early films almost look like documentaries because of the yeah. way they were shot. Yeah. And, uh, and, okay, so... Yeah. So, uh, yeah. How do, go ahead, keep going. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm just trying to figure it out. Like, D'Angelo isn't working in any kind of... Um, realist aesthetic right like he's making movies that are set in an alternate universe yeah where he is on the radio and it doesn't matter and like all yeah. this stuff like it's as it's exactly what you're saying about yeah. the being frank show like yeah. we're seeing a transmission from his unconscious yeah because he's putting out exactly what he wants to but he can't make us see it the way he sees it so we're right. seeing that that disconnect i think is the thing that's the most fascinating about his movies to me because sicilian vampire for example does not have any traditional vampire imagery like none but it all makes sense to him. Right. The bat, it's not a vampire. He got that the fangs. He did the transformation kind, scene. Sort of, but it's not. I know, I know yeah, yeah. But you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's not conventional and it's not recognizable, but we absolutely believe that it makes sense to him. Like, I know the movie thinks it, it knows what it's doing. Yeah. Well, I think this is the thing I think, again, to get back to those three directors. I think I am I, really drawn to filmmakers where you really feel. Like their stamp, you feel like you know this is my movie, right? And I think, you know, with Frank D'Angelo, like within the first ten seconds of a Frank D'Angelo movie, you know you're watching a Frank D'Angelo movie. And I don't think you can say that about a lot of other filmmakers. Okay. I think uh, that, that that again, this is what I'm drawn to. And I feel like also with Frank, if you look at his whole body of work, again, the universe, it all, it's all kind of like you know, it all kind of makes sense together. And I find also. Watching Frank's movies, I learned so much about who he is as a person, as a filmmaker, like, you know, what his thought process is, how he views the world. And I think I find that stuff very I, – I, I love just, you know, learning about people and just, like, you know, characters and, like, what – you know, what's behind their drive or, like, like, what is it that makes them obviously have a different reality than myself? And I think that's fascinating. I think with Frank, you get that. Like, you know, he's operating, again, on his own – his own kind, his own kind of version of reality, but it's his reality, and I, I think it's. Although sometimes I don't necessarily see it that way, like per, like personally, I don't. You know, we're, we're different people, but right. I feel like it's just interesting that he is so true to who he is, and he's spent nine movies now basically conveying that still. And I feel like every time I watch another Frank Nelson movie, I, I get a bit more of who this person is, and I love that about filmmakers when you can get a really good sense of you know who they are, whether it's. Yeah, you know, told that way or whether it's through, like, yeah, you know, something that's more, I guess, uh, yeah, I guess it considered more like a, you know, uh, tr- tr- traditional, conventional, conventional yeah. yeah, good film, so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is it is undoubtedly, and I've, I've, I mean, I've already said this, he's making the movies, he's making exactly the movies he wants to make. Yeah. Uh, I don't doubt that. There yeah. is, cre- you know, creative control from beginning to end. He's mm-hmm. doing precisely what he wants to do. Mm-hmm. But the idea that he doesn't know what he wants to do 
that he gets to the set and it just throws himself into it. That's fascinating because where's the control? Like how do how does he decide to like what's the word attenuation? How does he how does he find the tone? How does he adjust like a radio dial? Like how do you get the finished product from a script mint and in between just leave room for the magic to happen? That thing should be terrifying. Yeah. Right? Well, I like about also you mentioned tone. I think with Frank's films, tone is all over the place, which again, I think... Is that intentional, again, do you think? Um, I don't, but again, that's why I, th- I think it's fascinating. Okay. I think, you know, when you have a, you know, it's... The Sling of Vampire is a great example of like, you know, it's... You have these really kind of dark, like, scary scenes with this, like, really intimidating guy who you feel like you look him the wrong way, he's just gonna, like, stomp your face in. But then you have, like, the mouse fart gig, right? You know, it's kind of like, you know, it's kind of like, well, that's, you know, it's just, again, it's just someone who is operating, who doesn't give a shit about convention, doesn't give a shit about, you know, whatever. He's like, I'm gonna do whatever I want to do. And, again, I I, I kind of admire the balls on him to kind of just, you know, what does is he aware that he's doing that? Um... Maybe to some extent, but I feel like he just doesn't care. He's like, you know, no, we're, we're, we're going we're gonna to put a joke here now. And I'm like, yeah, put a joke there. Go for it, right? Have fun with it. It's just like, again, it's just, I just, I, I, I love the fact that he just doesn't give a shit. And I think um, I try to be more like that. I, I'm obviously a little more conscious of certain things, but, you know, I, I think for me, it, it'd be great to, I mean, it's so liberating to, just to have, be able to be like, yeah, I just don't give a shit right. and do whatever, you know what I mean? That's, that's such a liberating feeling. I feel like um, whether, you know, Again, whether it's intentional with Frank or not, I when I watch his movies, that's that's the kind of like you know that that's what I, I walk away with. And I think um, again, he's someone who's working outside the Canadian system. Yep. He's doing totally yep. on his own. And in some ways, you know, I'm kind of the same way. Like I don't get a lot of funding for things I want to do. I'm kind of like you know I'm relying on arts council grants and crowdfunding and some of my own money, right? And it's kind of like you know, so I kind of feel like you know I, I've I've yeah, I feel like I'm also one of those guys who just, I don't maybe necessarily f- fit in with what no telefilm or those guys are looking for, you know, in terms of content. But uh, it's nice to see that, oh, I mean, it's different. Frank has money, obviously. But, I mean, it's nice to know that, you know, he's, that, you know, Frank is kind of like, for me, you know, he's he's kind of like, he's, he's, he's that message of like, you know, you can get it. You know, you can do whatever the fuck you want as long as you have enough money. Right, you know? he's an aspirational he's, filmmaker. Absolutely, yeah. So, so and and your films are much more yeah they're much more formal they're much more I'm assuming yeah. scripted because no, it for feels sure. like yeah, you've yeah, written yeah. them out yeah um, and yeah how do you how do you direct him then in the last porno show oh man is, okay so that was that he's was playing a, just for people who might not yeah. have seen the film yet he's um, he's playing an acting teacher who mm-hmm. we first meet as a voice a disembodied yep. voice and then we're introduced into into his classes right where i mean was he delivering your lines did he do what he wanted how does that work well it's, well, it's all what frank wants that's what i learned again early on because i worked with frank on my film first i worked on his film so i didn't really I, oh. again i hadn't i had an idea what his thing was like i remember yeah on facebook and then he's like yeah i'll do it, i'll do it no problem like great thanks so much frank and then i remember it was like <laughs> a week before we went to camera like his father passed away oh I was like, oh, fuck. No, it was like, I felt like bad for Frank. And I feel like, well, Frank's obviously, he's going to be, be too busy dealing with his father's death. He won't have time for this. And so I was trying to like prepare for like, hey, who do I get now? And then I remember I get a call the day before he's supposed to show up. And he's in his car. He's like, yeah, so when, when are we filming this thing? I'm like, what? He's like, yeah. Like, do you know what I'm like, well, I told you we're filming like tomorrow. It's like, oh, yeah, okay. I went to and I gave him like the details and stuff. And he's like, yeah, well, I have to, I have to, I have to pop by the cemetery with my mom, you know, quick to take her to see my dad, and then, you know, I'll come afterwards. 
Oh, man. I'm like, oh, shit. I'm like, oh, okay, Frank, that's that's really nice of you. I, I appreciate that, right? So, so I'm like, because I was like, again, I, I was expecting, you know, it was just, he wasn't going to show up. And then he showed up. Um, so let's give you an example. So we were about two hours behind that day before Frank showed up. And then when he left, we were three hours ahead. <laughs> that That's how quick Frank, because Frank is like, you know, again, Frank hadn't, he didn't read my script, even though I, I gave him just his lines as well. Basically, we, we kind of talked about it over the phone. We're like, yeah, so you're the acting teacher. You know, it's important. You, you know, you're a method acting teacher. You know, you got to talk about method acting all stuff. He's like, yeah, yeah, I got it. I got it. And when he showed up, Frank just did whatever Frank wanted to do. And that's actually one of the reasons why we had to do the voiceover later because oh, okay. there are certain things that just weren't being tied together that were written, that I'd written, spent, you know, months trying to get, you know, the script perfect. Right. And he shows up and, you know, you know, and again, like my crew, no one really knew who Frank was either. Like I was the only one of the guys who like really knew what to expect. And they're like, what the fuck is going on here? Who is this guy? Because Frank, you know, again, it's like one or two takes. And he'd be like, okay, do we, do we get it? Are we good? Right? And again, Frank's used to like six cameras. I'm like, well, Frank, we have barely one camera. <laughs> we have to do it again from this other angle now, right? And he, I mean, he was... Again, he was super nice to me. Like, you know, he, you could tell he was getting really impatient, but he was, he kept his cool. He didn't, he didn't yell at me or anything. He was really nice. And again, he came out and did it for free, right? So, I mean, you know, it's, you know, nice of him to do that. Sure. And, um, but yeah, so basically, you know, I would try to get Frank direction, but like, okay, well, maybe try to mention the word method acting this time when you're, when you're talking to the actors and stuff, right? And so he would, he would take some direction, but, uh, the end of the day, you know, at one point I remember him just kind of like starting to direct the other actors. Like when I, when I when I say this fucking thing to you, you go and you do this then, right? And because kids basically, which is fine, like whatever. And then I, I take that because I'm like, well, just kind of do what I told you, but right. just listen to Frank, right? And uh, it's funny because again, we again we, we Frank was only there maybe for only like four hours. Um, and uh, by the by the last scene, by the last scene, he's like, hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna wear my coat for this scene. I'm like, oh, okay, sure. You can wear your coat for the scene, Frank. And I remember it's only because as soon as I like, as soon as I said we're wrapped, he just walked out. He didn't have to put on his jacket. He was ready to go. <laughs> it was just like he was just getting ready to leave. And I was right. like, perfect, right? Um, and Frank's gonna hate me because that scene got cut out of the movie. Not because not because of him. He was it's probably actually his best scene. Um, it just wasn't. It's just one of those things, you know. He's running out of time, right? Yeah. yeah. Unlike a Tell Frank movie where secret. Frank doesn't cut any scenes out. Right? That is, just, yeah, that yeah. is clear. Yeah, it's just like, like he, everything Frank shoots is going in the film, right? So I'm curious to see how he might not even remember, actually. So who knows? But um, yeah, working with Frank was was a trip. So basically, but then when we started to edit, they were like, "Oh, okay." Frank gave us a little bit of what we needed, but we this isn't gonna quite quite work. So we had to I had to go back and basically uh, rewrite. I had, to re- I had to write all that voiceover that. Um, which I think kind of and kind of kind of worked. I kind of liked it. I kind of liked how that went. Well, it doesn't and, uh, feel like it sticks out or anything. It feels organic. No, it feels organic. Yeah, I like the idea. Like you know, there's this actor listening to like you know Frank's voice in his head, right? And Frank kind of becomes the narrator at one point. It kind of goes from the headphones to like his head, right? Which is kind of interesting. So Frank becomes the narrator of my movie, which I think is fantastic. So it's again, it's those, 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 those like small, those like you know, it's a small thing that it kind of went wrong, but it, I think it ended up you know helping the movie in the long run. So. Uh, yeah, but working with Frank was like, yeah, it's like it's it's quick, it's dirty, and like you know, he'll yeah, he. I think I think if you know what you're going into when you're working with Frank, it's fine. I think anybody else who didn't know, they'd probably pulling their hair out. But uh, but yeah, he was super nice to even do it in the first place. And uh, you know, I he hasn't seen the film yet, so I'm very curious to see um, what he thinks because he hasn't even read the script, right? So. Um, 
he knows his scenes. But right, I, I yeah. don't know. Yeah. So again, I'm, I'm curious. I'm just going to watch him. I think the whole time at the screening and see what, see how he reacts to certain things. So, yeah, that's fascinating. I mean, that yeah. is like conceptually, that's really yeah an interesting challenge to set for yourself. Oh, and you know, honestly, man, I, th- I think for for me, like I constantly challenge myself to the point where you know it's like I've I've aged so much by making my movies because I just I, I really push myself um, in many ways where I probably shouldn't have to, you know. But it's just like I don't know. I I, I feel like. I really, I really love, you know, having that kind of stuff that, you know, just, just really, really going for it and trying to going out, like, think outside the box, go crazy, don't let anything limit you. You know, we didn't need to make this movie, right? I yeah. mean, but, you know, I think for the money we did have, I, I think we, we pulled it off and I don't think it looks like a movie made for 200K. I think it looks something that we, you know, have more money for. So, um, yeah, but that was, again, that was just like, you know, just hard work and a really, really good team of people. Like my crew and cast were... You know, they they knew this was going to be like you know, um, a, a bit of a, a bit of a, a crazy ride, but right. they stuck with it, right? So yeah, yeah. Would you try to make a movie like D'Angelo does? Would you do the? Oh, just try. try you know what? Um, I've thought about it. I've thought about ah, uh, the pants thing. It's just like I know I don't work well that way. I don't think I could. I mean, I would get something out of it. Mm-hmm. I think I'm, I'm. I like to take my time. Like you know, so many indie films too, or like you know, they shoot over like. 16 days is like a luxury now yeah it's me like i can't make a movie in 16 days that's insane like just personally like you know luckily we had we had 22 on this day and that's and people are like get yeah, 22 days on an indie movie and like yeah man looks like i know like films suffer right you know when, when you're rushing through stuff you, things get lost and there's, there's no time to really kind of explore and kind of find new things and just you know what i mean have fun yeah, I, like, yeah, part yeah. of me is like you know obviously I, I go into my movies with like a clear idea of certain things i want but i'm very open to like Something comes along, you know, working again with people like, you know, Frank or even like a lot of like, you know, first time actors in, in, in this film, um, just kind of figuring out what are their strengths and sometimes you don't even know until, you, until you're rolling and then adapting to that and working with that and, you know, how do we make this the best it can be now, right? So um, even with Frank, it's like, it was crazy and, um, but uh, yeah, you know, I, I learned how to work with him and get him to get, you know, do what I needed and then later on, yeah, we did the, the voiceover and it all kind of came together. But I think for me that that's one of the funnest parts is kind of really, really pushing yourself um, into crazy places and uh, it's kind of like, you know, a lot of it's luck obviously that it comes together, right? You know, I've been, I think I've been very lucky um, with most of my movies in terms of just getting them done and getting them out there, you know, because there's so many times where things have gone wrong. Um, and though, you know, it's like once you, you can plan you can plan as much as you want, but something always comes up out of your control, you know? Like, even with this film, like, we filmed at, um, it's called, I think they're calling it the Grand Girard now? Oh, yeah, the projection booth. The, the, the projection, projection booth, booth yeah. yeah. Which wasn't being used when we filmed there. Again, I had no money, so it was the only place I could film. And it's kind of good. It was, it's run down. It kind of fit perfectly with the idea of, like, a porno theater. Oh, right? no, it absolutely yeah. looks like that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, rec- yeah. I went in once, and I recognized five years later, it's like, those are the same seats. Those, yeah. That screen looks... It yeah. kind of it made me think of the metro, the old metro. Yeah, well, on, I mean, uh, the, uh, I mean, obviously that was a big, a big inspiration for sure, right? Even some of the inside decor was like taken from the, the metro and stuff. We kind of oh, tried yeah. to mirror that a bit. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But uh, even that cinema again, it's not being used. And as like our, our maybe like, I remember <laughs> the first day the the art team goes in to kind of start painting and do stuff. Um, the guy had just sprayed the day before, and it was like so the fumes were crazy. Like like you know. 
my crew had to wear masks and finding all these dead rats everywhere and stuff from the fumigation. Oof. Yeah, and then when we finally got in there to film, it was like maybe our second day in, all of a sudden the crew and cast, a bunch of them were complaining about getting bites, like bug bites. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, fuck, right now, like, what do we do now, right? I, I didn't have the time or money to shut down production. And so I call the guy who owns the place. And he's like, well, you know, my place is clean. If there's bugs here, you guys brought them in. It was like one of those kind of deals. Right. I was like, you piece of shit. So then like, I, I, I had to basically call a fumigator myself overnight to come and fumigate again. And he came in. He, he couldn't find bed bugs. He thought it was just maybe fleas from all the dead rats that were lying around. Oh, well, yeah. Right? So luckily, that was the end of that. But it's like things like that, right? We just kind of like an unexpected, you know, cost of paying a guy to come fumigate a theater, a location that's, that's not, it's not my it's location, not location, right? Yeah, it's my yeah, location, exactly. right? But well, I'm going to argue with the guy and then lose location and I lose the movie. So it's like one of those crazy things that's kind of like come up, right? You don't expect and you got to roll with, right? Um, yeah. But I mean, there's a million of those kind of things on, on the film. It was, again, it was, I mean, I've, I've definitely aged quite a bit more than I probably <laughs> should have. But um, yeah. I mean, if you shoot in two days, you probably don't have time to deal with any of this stuff. You, you just don't. blow right you through blow it. You blow right through it, yeah. Although you'll see your actors, like, swelling up with the bites and things oh, in real totally. time in the footage. It. That's it, right? Yeah, I yeah. I kind of like the challenge. I, oh, yeah. You know, they do these, they do these 24-hour short film challenges yeah. or 48-hour short film challenges. Yeah. Those things seem kind of achievable. Mm-hmm. You know, you'll have an idea going in, you flesh it out, you shoot it. You, you, yeah. Two days is okay to make a 10-minute short. Sure. A feature film, though, melts my brain. Just the idea. Like, um, Lynn Shelton was talking about Sword of Trust, uh, or a film with Mark Maron and Michaela Watkins and, and Jillian Bell. It was out last month. I was listening to her DGA podcast, and she said she shot it in 12 days. I'm like, is not wow. is that a typo? Did you mean to say 21? 21? Yeah. Because it's all talking and sitting and physical location. Yeah. Like, it's just, it's a it's a great little movie, but yeah. it's just, again, terrifying to me that you would start mm-hmm. and finish something in that window of time. 22 days sounds like a luxury. Oh yeah! Again, I, I I couldn't do I couldn't imagine doing something even like on sixteen days. I think it's kind of you just you just lose you lose so much of the magic. I think, and I think even getting back to the Frank thing. So mm-hmm. we did two, yeah, two films in two and a half days. Yep. So the Again. first the, the first two days were like eighty pages each. The last day one and a half pages. And why? Because that's the, what Frank wanted. What was of course, the one and I, a half pages? Well, I mean, it was the the big finale scene of um, making a deal with the devil, where Frank kind of goes and kind of goes after the, the Russian mobsters. So an action scene, basically. Like something well, that would be I mean, more complicated. Action's using that word loosely. I mean, <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's a death scene. Okay. I'll say that, you know. It's pretty good. You get to see Daniel Baldwin do his do his best Russian um, impression. Sure. Um, and so, but yeah, but, but of course I, I had scheduled way more stuff. I'm like, well, let's try to like, you know, even it out a bit, right? Let's try to make things a bit lighter for us and the crew for these first two days. And Frank was like, nope. <laughs> We're just shooting the kill scene. That's it. I was like, all right, let's see what happens, right? And uh, again, I mean, it, 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 as much as it was, it was stressful for me, it, it came together enough. I mean, I think Frank's really happy with, with the end products. So, I mean, that's, I guess I did, I did my job, right? You know, yeah. as long as he's happy, then that's all that matters, right? And again, I, I can't wait to see the hockey one. I think that's going to be a treat for anybody who, who's a Frank fan. Yeah. So it's all just about having faith that you'll land it, that you'll... Find your way yeah. through this tiny yeah. little way. That's it, time. and I, I think I think as long as you keep that, and as long as I, th- you know, I think again, we're all in the same boat. The crew, we're all like, you know, we know how intense this is, how crazy this is, but you know, we'll we'll, we'll get through it. And I remember even early on, all the crew were trying to like really prep me. They're like, "Man, you have no idea like what's ahead, right?" I'm like, oh, "I have a pretty good idea." And they're like, "I'd be very surprised if you had an idea what was ahead." And, and then they were right. Like I, you know, 
I had an idea, but once we were in it, it was like it was a whole other ball game. And uh, but and honestly, and like everybody was super cool, man. Like you know, all the actors like Daniel Yellow's in in both movies. He's probably the biggest celebrity. Super nice guy. Um, as much as shit was going crazy, he was always really cool, calm, and collected, and like you know, would talk me off the ledge or other people. And he was just you know, and even like Michael Paré, you know, and like um, uh, Daniel Baldwin, who'd been with Frank forever. And you know, same thing. They were like you know. Super chill, super nice guys who'd been through it before, man. And they were like, you know, so they were there. You know, you, you could talk to them and like, you know, like, you know, they, they would kind of help guide you through, like, you know what, man, we're going to get through this. And like, you say so, right? <laughs> you know, so we'll see, right? But, There's uh, something really sweet about these veteran actors yeah. doing that to a, to a new person, like just uh, yeah. helping out the new guy. Yeah, because, I mean, yeah, you hear all these horror stories about older actors who are just like dicks to people and stuff, right? And uh, yeah, right. man, like, yeah, because I think everybody knows, like, you're, you're, we're in this together, so. If one domino, you know, uh, falls off the track a bit, then the whole thing's just gonna like fall apart, right? So we have we have we have to be together. We have to be like a family and make this thing keep going. And uh, as much as it was, yeah, an intense ride, it definitely felt like that for sure. Like I felt it's like any film. Like you kind of you know you, you spend like you know a good month or so with the crew of people, and you kind of feel like it. You know, you, you learn about each other so much, you kind of feel like a family, right? And then sure, yeah. when you go off do other projects, that kind of like goes away, right? But it was only like yeah two and a half days, but man, but I felt like those people were like, you know, you felt like you knew them for like forever yeah. because you're kind of in this like, yeah, I'm sure it's like, you know, going to Vietnam or something. Yeah, I was going to say, know, it's, yeah, it's it, Foxhole Syndrome. Yeah, totally, right? Yeah, it was just like, you just, you've seen some crazy shit and it's just going to bond you guys together for who through that. And I, I thought, uh, so yeah, I think that's been really cool. Um, and Frank, I just, I've, I've, I've actually just finished doing two new, um, transcriptions of Frank's two new scripts that he wants to get going. So we'll see if those get made. I hope they do. Yeah, so they'll shoot next week, I guess. Or... Hopefully, yeah. I mean, he's... How fast is his production process? I mean, you said one of the scripts had been around for a while. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So is he I just capable on... now of fast-tracking something? He just he picks to? a day, and that's when it's like, you know, we, and like we build towards what those days are, and it happens. Okay. Like, there was definitely meetings. Like, we would all go to Mama D's and eat, you know, food, and Frank would just basically tell us what we need to do for the, before the next meeting. Um, and then that would be it. And like, you know, I bring up concerns. I would be like, okay, maybe we should try this or that. And he'd be like, no, we're doing it this way. Like, okay, great. <laughs> Cross it off the list. We're going to do it this way. And then, um, yeah, I mean, it, I mean, leading up to the shoot was pretty insane. Cause, cause, cause you know, what's going to happen. You know, it's, you're basically taking on something that's basically impossible. And you just kind of bracing yourself for, yeah, how do I kind of keep this thing on the tracks the best I can, right? And I mean, even Frank I mean, himself, I mean, I'll get credit when credit's due. Like, Frank is like, he, he like he's not like, you know, going off and sleeping eight hours each night. Like, he's in it. He's up. Like, I, I'm pretty sure he was up, like, for 48 hours before he had to go play goalie in, in that hockey game. <laughs> and, you know, and I was like, holy shit. I mean, he's going to, you know, he hasn't slept. Now he's going to go and play a hockey game for like an hour against all these like ex-NHLers and shit. Yeah, stunts are involved, yeah. basically. Yeah, oh, 100%, right? He's playing all these, you know, like um, uh, Yashin, Lexi, that's that guy, uh, hockey player, Lexi uh, Yashin, anyways. Yeah, my brother would know Yeah, he's like a big deal. See, he's in the movie. And so, you know, he's like, you know, Frank's playing all these guys and guy who has, he's on fumes. And by the end, I think he even like broke a rib or something. He got, he fell wrong or got hit Oof. wrong or something. And he's like, you know, in the locker room, I remember he's sitting there, he's collapsed being like, but I mean, I, th- I always figured if we could just get through the hockey game, because that was like the second part of the last day, 
the next day was only the one and a half pages. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll, we'll make it happen somehow, right? Like that, that'll be a cakewalk compared to everything else. So once we, I remember once we finished the hockey game and it pretty much went the way because he wanted it to, I thought I could take a bit of a breath. But uh, yeah, Frank, Frank is on the front lines, man. He, he's there like the whole time, you know, he's not phoning it in on any level, right? So I'll, I'll give him credit for that. I mean, he's, if you're looking for someone, you know, who's, who's, who's going to, you know, um, you know, own what it is, that's him. So, yeah. Yeah. So I guess that's the that's where we end up in the podcast. Is yeah. there anything of his work? Is there anything specifically of Sicilian Vampire or anything of his filmmaking style that you have used or borrowed or incorporated into your own stuff, or is it really that um, much of a divide? I th- it's probably it's it's probably just definitely not the process. I mean, I do like the idea of I'm I'm very open to improvisation and really have you know having fun with stuff like using the script as like a guide as long as you hit certain things that need to be hit. Sure. I don't care how, how we get there. I think Frank is definitely the same way. I think in that way, I'm like that. I'm probably a bit more structured. Like I, you know, I, I do. You know, I spend a lot of time writing scripts. I, you know, I, 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 it's like a labor for me. It's like you know, I revisions, revisions. You know, so I, I hate just throwing the whole thing out and just kind of like going for a feel. But at the same time, you know, um, I'm definitely open to just whatever's nat- naturalistic and whatever feels right and getting there. Um, you know, in terms of like the writing process or the shooting process. Or even the editing, no, I mean, we, we probably like two, like the, the different worlds. But I think, again, for me, it's more about just Frank's intentions and just the idea of him. I think what he represents within the Canadian film industry, where it's this kind of guy, he's like, he's, he's a renegade, he's, he's, you know, he's gone rogue, he's doing his own thing, right? And like, and he's just, he has this family of people who come back all the time, whether it's the crew or the cast, you know, it's in many ways, yeah, he's like, you know, he's, like a John Waters movie, we kind of get these same kind of weird characters who kind of come back for all these new projects, right? And, right. Just and keep I, reformulating the repertoire. Exactly, right? And I, I, I kind of, something special about that. I think that's it's kind of fun because, I mean, I don't know, I mean, I, again, I think making a movie is kind of, you do kind of, you kind of build this family and it's kind of nice when you can keep parts of that family, you know, as you move on to other projects and stuff. So I think that's more than anything what I, I take away from the whole cinematic universe of Frank D'Angelo. It's, it's, yeah, it's not so much the process, I think. I Again, I could never make a movie in, or two movies in two and a half days. You know, yeah. it would never happen. Yeah. Just the result. Just the result. Yeah, yeah. So, I don't know. But yeah, so, I don't know. Do you feel any different now about uh, Frank after this talk? or what? what I'm, you- I'm impressed at his industry. I really, I, it feels like he does not rush through this stuff. I, you know, watching the movies, they feel very relaxed, I think is a word I would use yeah. in terms of their pacing and in terms of just the way the rhythms between the actors are. Right. Uh, I would not have I would not have thought he works that quickly. So, yeah, I mean, you know, you're right. He's made nine movies in however many years. That's yeah. that's not nothing, but yeah. uh, I don't know that I could argue for him. I mean, he, well, this is the frustrating part. He is an auteur. He's clearly Absolutely. making movies how he wants to make them, but yeah. I just keep coming back to the fact that they're not movies that I recognize in any sense of the term, right. really. I mean, they are movies. They screen in theaters and they run a certain time and they're shot 24 frames a second. Yeah. But, yeah, it's just an experience that I don't really connect to. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I think Frank, yeah, you know, he's very, I think he's definitely a a polarizing, you know, a filmmaker and even figure, never mind just a filmmaker. Outside of film, he's a very polarizing figure, you know. I mean, you just go on Twitter and, you know, and people, well, just, you know, they they, they have it out for him, right? And I, I, I get that. I mean, you know, he's... There is a whole breed of film Twitter that is 
dedicated to, I feel like the ironic appreciation of him. And I yeah. don't get that either. I don't enjoy things ironically. I enjoy things that I enjoy. I yeah. just, you know, the idea of hating something for fun has yeah. never, like the hate watch has never done anything for me. I, I'm right. just, I don't know, life's too short. I'd rather watch something I actually enjoy. If yeah. I hate something, I'm not going to go back to it and watch it again. Mm-hmm. So I don't feel, I mean, I don't know that I hate his movies. I just, I'm radically indifferent to them. Yeah. But the, um, yeah, his personal reputation as, as a, I mean, he's DM'd me insults a couple of times because I haven't liked his movies. <laughs> and then he's blocked me and deleted right. the messages. But it's like, dude, come on. Yeah. Uh, I get it. He's a volatile personality. Yeah. Um, doesn't really affect my feelings of his work. Uh, plenty of directors are volatile personalities. Of course, yeah, yeah. Um, and I think maybe social media is not his best um, uh, performative mode. Mm. Uh, but he wants to do the things he wants to do and no one is stopping him. So no. here you go, yeah. Yeah, I think uh, Frank's that lesson of, you know, if you, you have enough money, you can do whatever you want for the most part, right? You yeah. know, which is, uh, makes you want to make more money. <laughs> I was going to say so, make yeah. movies. <laughs> we want that too. Well, yeah. Hopefully, yeah. Which would translate to movie, well, movies. With, yeah. With so. great financing comes no responsibility. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> My thanks to Kira Pappets, who will be introducing the world premiere of his new feature, The Last Porno Show, tonight, Tuesday, September 10th, at 9 p.m. at the Scotiabank 3. Frank D'Angelo will probably be there too. The movie screens again Thursday, September 12th at 9 p.m. at Jackman Hall in the Art Gallery of Ontario, and once more on Friday, September 13th at 3.30 p.m. back at the Scotiabank 3. You can find Curé on Twitter at kpapputs, all one word, K-P-A-P-U-T-T-S, and you can find Sicilian Vampire on Blu-ray and DVD at frankdiangelo.ca slash store. It's even autographed. It's also available on iTunes and Google Play. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner and elsewhere on the internet at nowtoronto.com. You can also find this podcast on Twitter at Semcast, S-E-M-Cast, and on the web at someoneelsesmovie.com. If you feel like leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or wherever you enjoy the show, that would be greatly appreciated. Every little bit helps. It truly does. And check out the other shows on the Frequency Podcast Network. There's plenty of good stuff happening there, and I don't have time to listen to it because of the festival, but, you know, let me know if you hear something good this week. That's what Twitter is for. Thanks for your support, and thanks for listening. See you next week, when I'll have had some sleep. I'm afraid you just too darn loud.